Welcome to the Sleeping Barber Podcast. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of the Sleeping Barber Podcast. On the show today, we welcome Andrea Olson and talk customer centricity, why organizations struggle with being truly customer-centric, her latest book, and so much more. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Sleeping Barber Podcast, a place for business leaders to get the best and most credible information on marketing, strategy, and innovation. Your hosts, Mark Binkley and Vasily Sturos, share their experiences as they gather insights from the world's leading experts. Now, on with the show. Mark, you got to do like a burr, 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 something like that. <laughs> I got to get that thing. You got to get that thing. It's been yeah, a fantastic yeah. year. I'll look forward. <laughs> but uh, we thought we'd get into a great conversation around customer centricity. Now, we, we thought, because Mark and I, well, we know a little bit, but we don't know enough. We thought mm-hmm. we'd bring in Andrea Olson. Andrea Olson is a strategist, speaker, customer centricity expert, and author of What to Ask. Andrew is also the CEO of Pragmatic, a TEDx presenter, a TEDx speaker coach, and has also previously served outside a consultant for EY and McKinsey. Andrea, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. It's awesome to have you here. This is going to be a fun conversation. We're genuinely excited about this conversation because during the research for this podcast, we found roots going back to like the late 1950s with Peter Drucker, who famously said, is a customer who determines what is what a business is, what its products are, and whether it is will prosper. And around the same time, there's also another leader and author, Lawrence Ab- Abbott, sorry, um, who said, what people really desire are not products, but satisfying experiences. So this idea has been around so long. I guess that dovetails perfect into our first question that we have for you. It's like, you keep hearing about it. It's everywhere. Everyone claims that they're customer centric, but the reality is they rarely prioritize that internally or they're become more internally centric. Why do you believe companies struggle with truly being customer centric? Oh, well, doesn't it sound sexy to be customer centric? Like, doesn't it have <laughs> that? Yeah shine to it oh, yeah. you know i mean what what company wouldn't say that they're customer they're not customer centric right you know no mm-hmm. care about customers forget them we don't care <laughs> um <laughs> we don't need them <laughs> it's an easy blanket statement to have and then you can kind of self-justify by pointing to things that you do and say look we care about our customers but you know nine times out of ten almost ten times out of ten those are the things that are just the baseline to be in the game, you know, answering right. customer calls, being responsive, uh, sending them, you know, products on time. I mean, mm-hmm. this isn't something revolutionary that's some magic level of customer centricity. It's just, you know, the one-on-one to actually be a competitor, be in the consideration set. So, you know, the, the biggest problem that I've seen with most companies that, that want to be customer centric but really haven't achieved this next level of customer centricity is mm-hmm. and honestly, they have no strategy. They have no okay. strategy and strategy is really about differentiation mm-hmm. and differentiation is not just from competitors, but in the minds of your customer. So you first have to have an approach that's going to make you stand out in a way that's relevant to those customers you're trying to target which is the second half of knowing who you're actually pursuing. You know, there's too many companies out there that say, well, you know, our products, they apply to anybody. Anybody could buy them. 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't yeah. mean that they can't go out and buy them. We have a client right now that's a very large insurance company. Um, that's a general insurance company. So anyone could buy their product as long as you're over 18. Uh, but the question is, is that who do they actually want to go after? Who do they think is the most profitable, opportunistic market that they could penetrate and potentially own, like be the dominant person in the market that owns mm-hmm. the group? So when you don't yeah. have a target market and you don't have a strategy and you don't have differentiation like clear compelling differentiation all this customer centricity stuff just becomes this superficial tactical things that's like well we have happy customers yeah we're responsive yeah we're we're customer centric but it's really just for show it's interesting the as you're saying that i was reflecting on um some of the other conversations that we've had roger martin came to mind talking about strategy and and so his idea that strategy is about choice when you mentioned you know who is your target customer i mean that's a component like a core component of your strategy because yeah there's a whole bunch of people that you don't want to necessarily reach yes you can sell it but a product to them or a service to them but by choosing some and not others mm-hmm. you're all instantly becoming more strategic and then more choiceful if that's such a word mm-hmm. on on who you're trying to reach and then it's customer centric to that group of people not to the whole market is that fair to say yeah you know and i think actually to that point you know customer centricity as a term is just too broad right you're, you're, we should really yeah. reframe it around who your target audience is right right are we you know mom centric are we millennial centric are we you know whatever your target audiences because Mm -hmm. that would then really change that mentality in the organization of who you're actually targeting continue to reinforce it now if you had products and services and things that were geared towards moms it doesn't mean a dad might not buy it right there's no reason why they can't call you up and purchase something but you're putting your investment and efforts in a singular direction based on a goal that you're trying to achieve so that you know be cornering that market let's say are, so the the mom center let, let's just take that one for example <clears throat> um so that would be similar what i imagine to be like a customer persona um and, and i'm sure we've all done some version of created some version of customer personas and mm-hmm. um are they are they really useful or is there a better way to kind of do that type of thing like because that's part of the targeting component we're talking about is understanding who those people are well identifying them and then probably understanding them is the second point, but. Yeah, you know, customer personas can be useful in in that context. The problem is, is that most organizations don't have that target focus. So they kind of make these generic personas, you know, Alice, Bob, Joe, and then they kind of make these assumptions that usually are generated in a bubble, usually are generated internally from some type of meeting where people talk about it, make presumptions. And then they have these documents that become, you know, the tablets from the mount, right? Where this is, this we're going to use as the guidepost for our Mm -hmm. marketing direction. And it's really not based in any factual information or it's based Mm. in such generic terms that there's nothing to draw from it, right? You say, hey, you know, a young guy, uh, he's going to be, you know, into cars and music. It's like, 
Yeah, of okay. course. Okay, great. <laughs> what does that tell me that helps us to be different or to make our offering compelling or connect with him in a way that's deeper, that makes us stand out, you know, that helps mm -hmm. us eat. So it's mm -hmm. really just kind of more comfort food than anything else. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that mm -hmm. in terms of like comfort food. You know, uh, Mark, I didn't, I don't know if you wanted to get into something else. I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, no, go for it. Yeah. You know, what I keep hearing, and I think from, from a marketer's perspective, as we're thinking about this, and we're supposed to be internally for our organizations, we have to be the, the voice of the customer, right? But we often get caught up in these our own like fantasy world sometimes, sometimes like the, the fancy new objects. So everyone steers that direction and, and, and whatnot. But I guess like, what do we need to be doing differently as marketers to better understand a customer's needs? You gotta, you gotta get to know your customer. I mean, we think we do, right? We, yeah. we know who's purchased before we know, you know, what they buy, we generally maybe know who they are at a high level. But, you know, think back to how many times in the last three years, as a marketer, you've gone out and actually talked to existing customers in your organization. Mm -hmm. And I venture to guess that most people, it's less than five, right? Oh, you no. stay right. in the office and you sit down and you think about what can we do next or what the next trend is, right? Right. Going yeah. back to who are you trying to sell to, right? And knowing that persona, that individual, that, that sub-segment, that very focused area, you need to actually get to know them. You need to sit yeah. and talk with them as humans, not as data points. So like, for example, you could have the next big technology that's like the next TikTok. And you say, this is the thing we need to do. It's awesome. It's cool. We can do all these things with it. That's just stuff, right? If your target audience is, let's say, over 65, who cares? Yeah. Who yeah. cares? Sorry, it's a shiny object. It would be cool. But you're not really focusing on your customer. You're focusing on yourself and what you'd like to do as kind of these cool things. And that's not, that's not making money for the organization. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, marketing, though, we want to be you know, something that really impacts the organization, we constantly have to mentally go back to saying, but what makes the company money? Because that's, that's how the machine works. Yeah. The, so there's a, to try and understand customers, there's lots of ways that we could probably do that. Um, as you were describing that, I was thinking of like Jane Goodall and, and, studying chimps like there's some level of that like and i don't mean that to be facetious at all but like there's some level of just getting into the dirt with people to understand truly what's going on um i was also watching a gartner uh presentation yesterday about understanding your customers and they're saying you can't listen to salespeople if you're a marketer you can't listen to salespeople because the the customers only spend like a fifth of their time with just your salespeople. So there's yeah. like 80% of what they're doing, you're not, they're not capturing. So if you're only using small bits of piece of information from your sales team, then you're not totally getting a complete view of what's happening in their journey. Um, so there's things like NPS and jobs to be done, and we, we can probably break some of these down. But I mean, 
first of all, like, how, like you, every company, well, lots of companies study MPS. So maybe let's start there. Mark's favorite uh, topic. And you, yeah, one of my favorites. <laughs> one of many of my favorites. Ooh. But like, so you would say if you were recording MPS, we have a pretty good understanding. That's like a data point. You would go, yeah, we, we, we're customer centric. We, we listen to our high. customers and we score high and we yeah. compare ourselves and benchmark against other companies. Sure. So maybe let's start there. Like, is that, is that part of a customer centricity strategy? Do you think? I, I, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. So, so let's go through this scenario. So, okay. Uh, you have products, you're selling them. You say you're customer centric. Uh, you listen to your customers. I don't really know what that means. And your NPS score is uh, 7.5. Okay. So what business decisions can you make from that information? The second half of that is, why is it a 7.5? Do you know? Do you have any insight as to what is shaping that and how you can influence that? That's number one. Number two is that you know, people are both can be rationally and emotionally satisfied, right? Like rationally, mm -hmm. satisfied, it's like I got my product. It was on time. Great. I'm rationally satisfied. Or I can be emotionally satisfied where there was, let's say, a little surprise in there or something unexpected or something that really stood out or it really solved a problem that was not just rational, but also emotional. So when you look at net promoter scores and you look at research on net promoter scores, you find out that people that score like, let's say a nine, if they're rationally satisfied and scoring a nine, but not emotionally satisfied, they actually behave the same as detractors, right? Oh. So that nine is going to be based on, well, I got my product on time. It was fine. It wasn't damaged. It was looked good. Uh, did it again, did it again. And then it's like, oh, new shiny object over here. And I abandoned it because hmm. I had no emotional connection to you. I had no deeper connection to you in any way to have some level of loyalty. And I'm not saying that there's a guarantee of brand loyalty, but what I am saying is you have to have a deeper relationship with someone for them to stay with you for a long term, unless you're mm -hmm. just locking them into a contract or something. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, that's, you know, I love those two things, rationally satisfied and emotionally satisfied. So the, the, immediately my mind goes to anything that's rationally so to, sorry to make a consumer rationally satisfied it's like the table stakes it's like you're shipping on time you're giving them the right product you're you know you're consistently delivering something sorry you're you're delivering consistent uh either service or products in in a, in a very timely manner the tricky one i want to gander between the two is the emotional element am i am i assessing that correctly yes yes exactly you know and and that going back to the net promoter score, that's why these high level numbers are so, they're really misleading. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're so attractive to upper management because it feels like it's in a contained box. But right. some mm -hmm. of those numbers can really drive you in the wrong direction. And, and this is going to your point. Uh, we had another client that was talking about those, basically those rational satisfaction measures. And they said, we have a 98% on-time delivery, which is great, right? It's fantastic. industry standard. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Diving into that number, that was measured based on the time it got through 
the manufacturing process. That wasn't on-time delivery to the customer. That was on-time delivery Mm. to themselves. Oh, my God. (laughs) So then it's like, well, then that's a whole different number for a whole different purpose. That has nothing to do with the customer experience because it could be five weeks after that before they receive it or who knows, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, like NPS and any other, you know, big high-level number, it's, it's, it's a barometer. It's a, a thermometer. It doesn't give you any information. It's just mm-hmm. kind of this flat thing that gives you a temperature, but it doesn't give you any insight as to how to influence it. Right. Yeah, I, I love that idea. Um, there's because there's I formerly had a client that um, their MPS score was going up, but at the same time they were losing customers. And we later found out that it was going up because the people that were staying were the ones that liked them. Yeah. So, you know, like it isn't necessarily correlating to your point. It's just a number and the quant of it was reassuring, but there's no qual that they were digging into or that they could uncover because they were just looking for the number. Right. Or people throw in incentives, right? Say, Hey, you know, and we've all been on the phone where someone says, hey, hey, tell me, you know, on a scale of one to 10, you know, you're going to have a survey after this call, you know, how I did. And then usually, or at least fairly often I've heard is that someone says, this impacts my personal performance rating. So now right. you've skewed this, this mm-hmm. ranking because you've incentivized people to say, hey, this impacts my me. performance. This impacts my mm-hmm. salary. I need you to give me a number. So then that number has zero meaning. It really doesn't reflect reality. Hmm. Can we we jump into jobs to be done? Because that's another one. Like, I'm fascinated by this. But admittedly, I, other than the milkshake story with Clayton Christensen, uh, I don't know a ton about jobs to be done. And I mix it up a lot with category entry points in my own mind. So if you could, I'd love just to kind of get your take on jobs to be done. Cause to me, it also seems like interesting ideas. Um, but I don't know enough about it to be frank. Yeah. I mean, jobs to be done, you know, the, the Clayton Christensen milkshake story, it was like people going through McDonald's, buying a milkshake, understanding why they bought a milkshake. And it was really to, you know, keep them full until lunch. Right. Even though they're buying it at breakfast time, which wouldn't feel like a normal breakfast purchase. Uh, and so that, you know, was some enlightenment where it was like, wow, okay, now we can look at new products or different offerings that will sustain someone through lunch. Yeah. Very simple. Um, and another scenario with jobs to be done is like, you know, someone buys a drill, um, you know, they're, they're not buying a drill, they're buying a hole, right? That's what they want. Yeah. At the end of the day. It's, a, it's a wonderful way to kind of reframe things around an objective or a goal rather than a product. But mm-hmm. jobs to be done, if you really dig into that process, it is just super lengthy. Now there's like, you know, if you really break it down, there's like 80 some steps in it. And, you know, it's about kind of looking at different angles of it and then doing qualitative and quantitative research. And really the big portion of that, that meat that you were talking about, that aha idea is really only like one step in the entire process. So then it's a question of like, how, how is your organization, 
and I think about myself as a marketer. I've done a lot of marketing in the past myself. How is your organization, your upper management going to say, yeah, that sounds great. You're going to walk through some 87 step process. This is going to take, I don't know, six months, eight months, 12 months. And then mm -hmm. out of that, you're going to have, you know, the idea of, hey, you know, the milkshake scenario where, well, we can offer heartier breakfasts, breakfasts that will last someone to lunch. I wouldn't want to wait 12 months for that. And I wouldn't want to pay the amount of money and time of my staff to get to that point. So I think that, you know, though it has merit, it's, it's built in academia, right? It's not built in kind of a practitioner's mindset. And I think that's the problem. It, it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's a wonderful way to look at it, but it's just not very practical in execution. You know, actually, I, you know, I first came across this, um, that, that idea of jobs to be done. It was in, you know, Mark and I are actually doing our EMBAs right now. And it was in one of our classes where it was kind of first brought to light and reading about it in a very high level. I'm like, oh, this is actually a really cool framework. But listening to you right now, it's like, oh, wait a second. This could be, this could be something that becomes, um, May, may have an ability to unlock things, but if it is such a strenuous process where in business, like you almost need to work a lot quicker to get to mm -hmm. what the insight is, it does make it somewhat um, difficult to implement. And especially if you're, you know, you're allocating a large amount of spend to, to have that research done, I think it is. So I guess my, my question is, is there a better way? Like it, we're, we talked about a little bit about NPS earlier, you know, now we got into jobs to be done. Like, what do you believe is a better way to kind of get those insights from your customers in a way that can make them actionable for your business? Well, you know, there's a, a bit in the book about kind of a different approach, what we call the 3W ideation process that is kind of intended to shift mindsets and accelerate that ideation. Right. Uh, but I think it really starts with understanding that you can't come into any process, whether it's this one, jobs to be done, something else, and think that this is going to be something that's going to produce an answer that delivers a guaranteed success, right? Mm -hmm. The whole thing about customers is that they're people and you can't predict people's future behavior. People can't predict their own future behavior. And so- mm -hmm. You have to understand that this is something where you're starting to change the way you think, change the way you approach customers and customer needs, and then generating a series of ideas that you're going to test and validate, right? And then you're going to say, this one I think has the best chance of success, it's mm -hmm. the lowest risk, or it's you know the best payoff, and we're going to invest in that. And then we're going to kind of see along the way how this one performs and tweak it as well. So mm -hmm. something where, where I think people want a structure where you can just produce this widget, right? This, this hypothetical widget and then success. And yeah. then I can move back on to the things I was doing before. But essentially, it's about changing mindsets and behaviors inside the organization. And you start doing that and you start making it comfortable where you can generate ideas, test those ideas, and, and an idea that fails 
isn't a failure, that's a learning opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. There's nothing new with that statement. Um, so that process is really designed to, to make that faster. You, in the book, you also mentioned that there's different kinds of knowledge or, or distinguish between different kinds of learnings. And I imagine to some degree, the tool that we're picking, whether it's jobs to be done, the three W's, and I want to dig into that in a, in a few minutes, because it's a really interesting idea. Um, net promoter score, all those things. But you describe these sort of ideas about or the types of knowledge about uh, about a customer for a customer and from a customer. Yeah. So, you know, Can you talk about that. Yeah, Yeah, of course. We, we think about customer data, customer information is kind of this one thing, right? Uh, and sometimes that's numbers, sometimes that's qualitative information, but it's all this, this content about customers. And really the problem is, is that we need to segment that in a different way to understand the function of different types of information. So there's, there's information and knowledge about customers. And, and what I mean by about is, is what has been their historical behaviors transactions? This could be purchase history, this could be whether they went in the store, this whether they made a return. You know, these are the things that are usually easily trackable, easily traceable, and usually the bulk of what we make as marketers make decisions with. But then there's information from customers. And that's a little harder to capture, but with social media and, you know, the internet, there's a lot more easier ways to do this. This is understanding how customers use their product. So if you think mm -hmm. about any product that somebody has kind of originally it was intended for this purpose and then they re-engineered it and used it for another purpose, that's information from the customer, right? They discovered something new or they modified something or they, you know, have other kind of approaches to utilizing it that maybe your organization never saw, right? Because it's a new perspective. That's information from customers. Then the third part which is really the most important and the hardest thing to do is information that's for customers, right? What are their unmet needs? What do they want? These are the things that they don't verbalize. These are the things that they don't put in, you know, some type of response post. I'm not talking about features, but things beyond the surface. And that's where the magic is because transactional and historical information and information about how customers use products, your competitors have all that information. They have it all. Whether they use it or not, I don't know, but they have it. So how can you compete in a way that's different? You need to uncover something new. And so that's understanding those wants and needs or that for information about customers. Okay. <laughs> is that too much? <laughs> no, 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 no. This is this is exactly no. This is why you're here because I think it's 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 opening. Uh, selfishly, I know it's opening my mind to kind of like really start thinking and approaching this a lot differently than maybe historically we have because I I think the the root cause when you think about customer centricity, there's like you basically go through like your own mental checklist. It's like what is the NPS score? What is the feedback that we're getting from customer service? Like you just go based on your organization, it's going to be a little bit different. It's like, let's just check these boxes. And if these are like benchmark numbers, we're not going to think about it again. And we're just going to move on, right? We, we, gotta, we have better things to do, right? When the reality is like, no, you probably need to spend more time and really understanding the nuances. 
So when I think about this now in context, like I came across, again, doing research for this podcast, I came across some research from Gardner and they, they kind of published a piece around like, how can you identify if you're genuinely customer centric? And there was three things that they listed. It's like the first being organizations actively engage and listen to customers. So earlier, basically what you were talking about earlier is the second one was like you openly admit that you're sorry, you openly admit that your products and solutions will not solve every customer's problem. So you have this self-awareness. And the third is that you're constantly looking to change internal structures and adjust things like compensation or even reallocate resources in the faces of the customer's needs. Now, while I think those sound reasonable, in your opinion, how can organizations do the, the more of that self-assessment or that self-reflection if they're genuinely um, customer-centric? Well, I mean, you know, the Gartner piece, which is it's just very high level, yeah. it's, it's helpful. You know, it's a helpful starting point. And it depends on where you are in your proverbial journey, right? Right. But I think the problem is, is that we, we tend to get this advice like that. And you go, okay, okay. So, yeah, I, I, we listen to customers. We do, we do a survey once a year and get that information. So check, you know, as yeah. you said, checklist. You know, it's like, well, our products and services don't solve every problem. Yeah, well, we know that. This product is for this and this product. Well, we know that. Okay, check. Uh, yeah. And then our internal structure compensation, well, you know, we incentivize salespeople, you know, to go get new customers. So that's good. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we reallocate yeah. resources. If customers, you know, we have more customers coming in and we, you know, need more customer service people, we have more customer service people. So check. check. Success. Right. <laughs> so it, it starts with, honestly, the fundamental thing is a goal. What are you really trying to do? Are you trying to self-satisfy with saying we are customer centric? Check, check, check. Or yeah. are you trying to do something that really moves the needle from a business perspective? Mm -hmm. well, to me, this goes back historically to my background where I started, uh, gosh, in the 90s, dating myself, that I started a tech company with a friend. Uh, and, you know, we were, it was just us, right? we were trying to build tech platforms and sell them to companies. And we found quickly that we had to think of things that were going to move the needle right away. Right. There was no room for error. There was no room for 87 step processes where we're going to go <laughs> through this mm -hmm. and figure it out and think about it for eight or 12 months. No. Right. So to get to what do we want to achieve, first and fundamentally, it was, okay, we need to increase sales. Okay, mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. not any sale. Not any, every sale was profitable, right? We built right. websites. Let's just go with that. We built websites. Not every website was profitable because people would have changes. We'd have flat fee. We'd go over budget, et cetera. So it's okay. So who do we want to target going back to the same thing, right? What? what clients and what engagements were most profitable why were they mm. profitable and then what could we do with that target audience was there a need that we didn't understand or didn't see? Mm -hmm. you know what that required us to do talk to our customers right because right. we didn't mm -hmm. know we're sitting in an office we didn't know and have really really multiple deep hour-long conversations with understanding their business and this happened to be mm -hmm. the 
understanding their business, understanding their challenges, kind of helping them see their business through a different lens because we're mm-hmm. looking at it differently. And then that gave us the opportunity to say, wow, okay, instead of building websites for anybody, what we need to do, because that that business is like feast or famine, right? That we need to develop a platform. And this was right. again in the nineties. So a platform where we could replicate and reuse this, this information, right? This structure and solve the business problems of our target audience, which ended up being hospitals and health systems. Mm-hmm. And okay. it became one of the first browser-based editing platforms for a website that ever existed. So instead you used to have to go in the back end and change yeah. things. It's like an admin or a webmaster at the time, God yeah. help me, that could go in and change something right through the browser on the website and then log out. Right. Right. So, but that was understanding their business challenges. So if you think about an individual consumer or consumer segment, what are their challenges? Well, first you have to understand that. So mm-hmm. I, I think that the, the Gartner thing is, you know, yeah, great. Oh, okay. it's, a, it's a no shit. But if you think about, I have to grow this business, you start quickly figuring out, I need to understand the how. And if I need to understand the how, I need to understand where I'm focusing and what the opportunities are. I'm. I'd like to jump into the the three W um, ideation process, if you don't mind, because mm-hmm. I think, like, one thing that keeps coming back to to me as you're speaking is there's this reality of business, and then there's like sort of the pace of research, <laughs> and so they don't always align. And I think that the three W framework that you've put together is really interesting because it helps get information in a I, I don't know if you know insights at speed maybe isn't the right way to say it but it, it feels like it's thought of with uh an urgency um in mind so can we can you just start talking about the three w's and and we can start um peppering you with a whole bunch more questions about the three w's sure. yeah so, <laughs> okay. so it's really a framework to start changing your mindset and to change the way you approach customer needs that's it it's not going to produce a clear and concise answer that then you just go and implement and all is well. Uh, and the intent of that is to help organizations start thinking differently, right? We, we really get caught up in execution and we, you know, maybe have a business need. Let's say, okay, we need to increase sales. You have a meeting. You say, all right, how are we going to do this? What ideas do you have? And someone says A, someone says B, someone says C, new product, more salespeople, uh, technology. Discount. Discount. (laughs) You know, these are the things. So so guess what? These are the things that every other competitor is talking about. Same things. And you see it. You see them do these actions too. Mm -hmm. So the question is, how can you uncover something different? And you say, well, we, we don't have time and resources to talk to all our customers. We don't have money to do a big survey and that's fine because that's going to be a lot of money a lot of time and then what happens six months later you're still in the same boat so Mm -hmm. the three w ideation process is really a a series of simple parts 
to give you something that's focused around the customer need to then go test and verify. So it starts with a query and the query is really two parts, your audience and your product or service. So pick an audience, right? Even if you maybe you don't know who your audience is or you have an audience that you prospectively want to target, pick one and then pick a product that suits that, right? That is usually in your existing portfolio or it can be a product idea. So the example that I use often is, you know, why would a millennial, right, which is an audience group, want a mortgage, okay? Mm-hmm. And then the first thing that usually happens in this discussion process is people say, well, they want to buy a house. Thanks. Thanks for that brilliant insight. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and that's that's technically true, but that is the functional reason. Reason. Yeah. Right? That It's the functional context for wanting a mortgage. What is the broader context, right? And this is the first W, the why. That Answering that question of why would a millennial want a mortgage? Give me something bigger than that. Right. What would be the context and catalysts for that to occur? And if you just think about millennials a little bit, and ideally, if you have millennials in the room when you're having this discussion, it's even better. But it may be they got a promotion. They just moved to town. Uh, They just had a baby. Right. Mm -hmm. These are the real reasons of why they would want a mortgage. Right. It's not for Mm -hmm. the process and love of getting a mortgage. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you develop this list and it's just a list of ideas to help start thinking about if I was a millennial and if I needed a mortgage, if I wanted a mortgage, why would I, what would be the catalyst for that? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so you start kind of changing the way you think. Then you say, okay, given those scenarios and you can pursue one or more of those scenarios, right? Those contexts, it brings you to the next step of what? The second W. What would you need or what would you want if you were a millennial that just had a baby and you were looking for a mortgage? Now you're thinking about it differently. Now you're thinking about it at a deeper level that might be a little more tactical, a little more initiative driven, but a lot more differentiation driven. So let's say that be like, well, if I want to do mortgage, I might need childcare to go to the bank, right, and spend the time filling out paperwork. Uh, I might be interested in a house that's in a very safe uh, neighborhood or there's great schools. Like there's all this bigger context around what I would need. So we're not we're taking the focus off the product and we're shifting mm-hmm. it around the customer need and perception. And so you can, you can make a list of a thousand what's, right? You have this huge list of things. Then you get to the third W, which is the wow. And the whole intent is to, what can we do to combine our whys, right? Had a baby, got a promotion, and potential needs, let's say childcare, and make a combination of things, not all of them, some things will be dumped, some things will be tabled, that would create a hypothesis of if we provided this, if we created this, whether it's a product, a service, to serve those whys and buts, that would really make us stand out. And then you take that wow hypothesis and you need to go and validate that with that target audience. You have a handful of conversations, right? You just need a few to start 
seeing a trend, seeing a pattern, right? Mm -hmm. This could be even a dozen, right? Nothing major, but you have something that you can actually go back to upper management and say, this is the thought process we went to, and this is the outcome we want to deliver, right? Right. Because you can come to upper management with a whole bunch of ideas, like, hey, we should do this product, this product, but they need a contextual framework as to, but how did you come to that conclusion? And so this gets you there very quickly, and it gives you a bunch of ideas that then your organization will start thinking and behaving differently because they're thinking about this all the time. They're thinking of small ways they could do it, whether it's a big initiative or something tiny, you can pull it out of this process. Mm -hmm. the, my head is just spinning right now. As you're, as you're describing that, I, there's so many other thoughts that are combining in my head. What I like about this is um, there's a component of design in terms of creating a user experience, let's say for a mortgage, sure. that allows you to think about the mortgage as something different other than just the plain the mortgage. mortgage that's then stacked up against every other mortgage lender out there. And so like how you do something, it can be the differentiator, not what it is that you have, but how you do it can help create that distinctiveness or the differentiation in the market. But the other part I really like is at that point, it's just a hunch, like the wow thing. And then you're trying to get that information back, like, talk to somebody, pitch it, present it, you know, right. um, see if they care, put up a dummy website, you know, that kind of thing where run an ad that just promises it, see if anybody's interested in it. Like there's lots of ways you could test the theory without having a major commitment and changing a whole direction of an organization to see if you're right, which is cool. You know, and, and the big part of that is you're going to, filter these out based on your organization's capabilities and right. comfort level for investment, right? So, if, mm -hmm. hey, you know what? Oh, okay, the whole baby thing, we're going to set up a nursery. Well, and maybe you don't want that liability. Maybe you don't want to deal with that. But what other things could we do? And you have to think about it in a broad sense because mm -hmm. it's about what could we do versus what can we do, Right. Can we do mm -hmm. limits of, well, we can't do this, we can't do that because of this? It's important to start thinking big because there's a thousand ways to skin a cat, right? So in that scenario, it's like, do we partner with somebody? Do we approach it differently? Do we mm -hmm. have a, a little area in the bank in this scenario where if you, you can bring your children and they're going to play over here right? Mm -hmm. while you're doing your paperwork, right? right. And I, I don't know, right? I don't have those answers, but collectively a group of people having a deep discussion about that and thinking creatively can come up with brilliant things and you have to think about it in the context of okay what what is the smartest thing that aligns with this business that really can make us stand out and make sense right we've, we've had clients where they want to focus on let's say the technology right mm -hmm. of the mortgage process and they say well everybody else is making it super simple we need to make it super simple too. Uh, competitor X says it's you know five minutes when it's not really five minutes. The back end is really long. They actually have to come in and fill out paperwork. It's like it doesn't matter. That's the perception. And if you pursue that challenge of making it simpler, you're just following along what 
everyone else is doing. And now that becomes, you know, the standard, right? You have to keep up with the Joneses to an extent, right? You can't have a yeah. five hour long process when 90% of the market has a 10 minute process, yeah. but just making a 10 minute process does not make you different. And it does not connect with a customer in a way that someone else isn't. You have to stand out. Hmm. You know, they, again, just lis listening to all of this and I, I actually, I kind of like the, uh, the mortgage example. Like I, I think it's resonating because it's not typically something that marketers would kind of look at and say, Hey, let's rethink what a mortgage actually looks like. So I think this is a fantastic hypothetical. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious, we talked about the jobs to be done. Like it's an extremely long process. I love the what, why, wow. It's really concise in your experience. Like how long does it take organizations to go through this framework to get to a place where the insights or some of the hypotheses that come out of it, they can start building upon. Is it like a, it's a month, it's two months in your experience. What, what does that time frame usually look like? You know, it, it depends on the organization. I'm not trying to skirt the question, but no, no, you no. Know, yeah. if you're, a, if you're a slow moving boat and you're only going to meet, you know, once a month on this and you've got other stuff going on, you know, it's just going to be slow. Yeah. But if you really concentrated your time, you know, and, and did some prep work, right. You had your target audience, and you had some people picked out that you know you were going to talk to and contacted them in advance saying, hey, could I, could I do a Zoom call with you? We've got some questions we're improving. You know, we're looking to improve what we did. Yeah. Um, this can take a week. Right. Mm -hmm. You sit down and have everybody in a room and you meet for a few days and you land on an idea, right? Something that really resonates or a couple things <clears throat> that you want to pursue. And yeah. then you actually implement that and, and spread that work amongst multiple people. Like everybody has to call five customers, let's say, yeah. um, you know, when you get 20 responses, yeah, you can have something immediately. Right. I love now, that. does that mean that is the magic bullet? No. And I, no. I can't tell you that, that that is, but it does give you something that is actual, actually tangible. Yeah. Right. And you can mm -hmm. go through that process again and again and again. Now, don't get caught up with that. Don't get caught up with trying to find perfection. Yeah. But get to something where you're excited about it. Like, man, customers are excited about this. No one else is doing it. This is different. We can implement it, right? There's great, there's upside opportunity with it. Yeah. Then go with it and start testing. And actually, that's the key to, to everything, especially in marketing, is just start. You have mm -hmm, yeah. to start. You can sit forever in meetings and discuss it and try to get to this comfort zone. It's like you have to have some brave and bold actions and start with something and then learn from that. You don't have mm -hmm. to pull something out to the entire world immediately, right? Yeah. Pick a group, pick a segment, and mm -hmm. learn from that quickly. Andrea, I know we only have about five minutes left or so. I, I just wanted to ask this one last question for me and maybe you can take the final one, but um, I, I can imagine sitting in a room as you were describing this and, you know, let's say the f three of us are going through this process. We're like, okay, we're going to do this. And then we <laughs> test something and we, we come back. We're like, didn't work. And they go, let's iterate again. Yeah, it did not, didn't work either. I understand the point about you're learning as you go, you're kind of probing the market to find that, that entry point or the product market fit. But how do you link that idea 
to revenue because there's always going to be some kind of short-term pressure for an ROI proving like a financial reward for the, the things you're investing in. So how do you test for that too? You know, you need to understand that. Well, I mean, there's two parts to that. One is I think sometimes in your scenario that you can get into the, this didn't work, this didn't work, this didn't work. And you kind of get bogged down, right? Mm -hmm. You go, well, the process doesn't work. It's just like anything else. Why didn't it work? Mm -hmm. Do you know, or what did you learn? or What did you see that could be changed, could be influenced to potentially make it work? And I think that's a key part of the process that I wanted to emphasize. Now, when we're talking about revenue, let's say you have an idea for a complementary service or offering with this mortgage, right? That's going to make that mortgage process different and unique, okay? Mm -hmm. That you have to, as marketers, think about how does this make money? And yeah. I think we get wrapped up in the idea developing the idea, launching the idea, and then it's that, well, of course it'll make money. It'll just make money, right? Mm -hmm. We don't think in financial terms. We don't think like a CFO. Um, and as an entrepreneur, right, with an entrepreneurial mindset, you have to. You have to say, how will this equate to money, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, well, the salespeople will sell it. Well, yeah, okay, they'll sell everything. They'll sell anything. You have to think about what is the best approach to generate revenue from this. And that could be direct. That could be, you know, hey, we're going to, we have a product or a service. We're going to sell it directly for this much money. There's also indirect where you say, you know, we're going to have a strategy that we provide this thing at no cost. And the downstream revenue is, let's say, more mortgage signups, right? right? Mm -hmm. A different approach. We could also look at it from a partnership approach where we have this thing and we're going to sell it through uh, third parties, right? We could do it that mm -hmm. way. Um, or we could sell it to other industries, right? Maybe not. Maybe we have this great idea, but you know what? We don't sell it to other banks. We sell it to totally other industries, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you have to think about revenue, not just as a one-to-one right? Product sale. It's like, mm -hmm. you have this idea, understand that the adoption and success of it may come from a revenue strategy in of itself, right? Mm -hmm. Actually, the indirect one where maybe you actually provide this for free and right. it actually generates more, more mortgages down the road. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, man, Andrew, this is, this has been phenomenal. And I think as my last question is really going to be very simple. Actually, maybe we could even start with this, but uh, the softball question. But no, really, uh, what what can we all get start getting excited about for twenty twenty three? What where do you think that you know as marketers our our focus should be? Um, what could we be doing differently? What what are you, uh, let's actually what's get what's getting you excited for twenty twenty three? Let's just start with that. Uh the the thing I've been trying not to do is. And, and even for 2023 is not get wrapped up in the trends. The trends <laughs> are this is awesome. Flash pan. <laughs> Excuse me. Like, you know, Hey, the big hair in the eighties was great, but it would look pretty stupid now. Uh, yeah. it, it's, it's temporary. 
and you're going to have executives that pressure you. You're going to have executives that say, hey, you know, are we on TikTok? Is TikTok a thing? Or you know, yeah. my kid does these TikTok things and, and maybe we should start doing them. What? Why? Right? What purpose is that serving? Right? And we have to start really thinking and positioning ourselves. And this is what I'm excited for next year is really helping marketers get out of the rut of being the, you know, pseudo design branding arm of the company. This isn't the mm. case across the board, but in everything we talked about, right? Strategy, differentiation, customer segmentation, that mm -hmm. is all strategy. That is marketing. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we look at marketing and still to this day, right? It, ch it changed probably in the nineties and it's still stuck there is that, okay, we need a brochure. Okay. We need a campaign. Okay. We need that. That is not really the function here. And if strategy yeah. isn't collectively developed by marketing, sales, operations, other C-suite yeah. folks, and really aligned, all of this is just going to, it's going to be the stuff we do. And look at the end yeah. of the year, look at all the stuff we did. Did that actually influence the bottom line? Mm -hmm. like really, uh, really. And yeah. if you can't buy that in some way, like in a legitimate way, then it was just stuff. You know, it was anything. Mm -hmm. You could switch it out with something else. It wouldn't have the same result. So I look at 2023 as the time where marketers need to say, you know what? We need to step up and really be the change in the organization and mm -hmm. influence where the organization's going. And that requires us to look at the organization as a business and a business growth opportunity. Mm -hmm. How can we get our heads around that in a different way? V and I were laughing when you said the trends thing, because we literally just recorded a podcast with saying, ignore the trends. This is, yeah, so great. I, I, like I can, I can pick your brain for hours. This is so great. Thank you for all your time. Um, how can people find out more about you, Andrea? Uh, of course, you can find me on the traditional channels, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, our company website is pragmatic, P-R-A-G-M-A-D-I-K.com. That's the phonetic spelling. I love that. Uh, or you can learn more about myself, uh, Andrea, A-N-D-R-E-A, Belk, B is in boy, E-L-K. Olson, O-L-S-O-N.com. Uh, that's just about my speaking, a lot of content um, that I do. I do uh, uh, contributing articles to uh, World Economic Forum, Harvard Business Review, Entrepreneur Magazine, uh, quite a few others, uh, Rotten School of Business Magazine. Nice. Um, and then, uh, of course, you know, just Google me. I mean, I'll be there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably the best. Just Google me. <laughs> It's never we'll, we'll put we'll put a few links in the into your uh, website and the show LinkedIn notes. profile yeah. and all that kind of stuff in the show notes. But thanks so much, Andrew. This is great. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank that you guys. Good. Time for the post pod discussion with Mark and V. Post.
Ghost Pod. Let's go. <laughs> Here we are. Okay. <laughs> Andrew is great. I uh, I love. You know, it's funny. Like I, we talk about marketing a lot, but marketing often is forgets about the customer. And she's right. Like you, you. Oh. How often we go and sit and talk to customers? We don't. Let's be honest. Yeah. We don't. It's it's crazy. It's it's making me rethink like objectives and priorities for next year, <laughs> for sure. Just even that alone, like go see more customers quarterly. Like yeah. it's not once a year. Like you have to make sure that you're spending enough time in the market. Actually, Sandeep was saying the same thing, if you remember, right? Yeah. And he was saying that, well, then they just hire us to go do that for them because there's yeah. no C-level suite that's going to go down and going to talk to the customer. And maybe they don't have to, but you better, your leadership should at the mm -hmm. very least. And I think this is like, have we complicated the discipline ourselves? Like with, listening to Andrew, this isn't difficult. This isn't complicated. No. If you genuinely want to be consumer centric. And I, I think where I struggle with this is like, why do we, even our best example, that our best shared example, if we if we use like mm -hmm. when we worked in retail, we had like these personas, these customer segments that I think like mm -hmm. resonated with everyone so unbelievably well. Mm -hmm. How often were we actually talking to the market, even during then? Well, I, it depends on. So it's a good point, um, and it depends on I think where you are in the marketing department. So mm. during that period of time, you remember I was, I was managing social. Right. So I had a lot of direct contact with <laughs> you customers. Did. Wow. Did I ever, and, <laughs> but, but that was because it was also the service channel, right? Like yeah. if anybody had an issue with a certain order or anything like that, or one of the other ones that always came up was every single time we posted anything about skis or bikes we got crushed yeah because we were a big box retailer yeah and everyone and their cousin wanted to say how stupid and <laughs> ridiculous you are and you go to your local local bike shop your local ski shop and so yeah. we got all kinds of stuff that way but so there are channels within marketing where i think to Andrea's point, you can get some customer feedback. You That's can fair. get some exposure, but I don't know that it's the same thing as going and standing beside a customer and seeing their world through their eyes, you know, if from their manufacturing plant or from the top of a mountain, watching them ski the hill, the run that they wanted to do. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? Like those are different kind of experiences that gives a lot more quantitative qualitative Quality, data yeah but doesn't show up in a number as a one or a zero well here's here's the thing like i when we when we think back to that time like double digit comp growth year over year like no the perception was obviously like you no know, we found that niche we found the market like we, we had the right targeting strategy etc cetera, etc cetera. and the business metrics supported that theory one would argue if you spent potentially more time in the consumers and understand that, hey, is this resonating? What are your actual needs? How could we mm -hmm. be potentially approaching this differently? Maybe we would, we would have seen a change or a shift or a uh, something different 
at that mm-hmm. time that we could have implemented it as well. So mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. Like no one's going to look, if you're doing well, no one's going to, everyone's just going to assume that it's, it's all working. Right. Mm-hmm. When in fact it may not be, but it's just mm-hmm. a byproduct of circumstances that it's showing the superficial growth potentially. Mm-hmm. Right. Your, your comment about going quarterly also is interesting because you know, thinking about those personas that we had, and you know, we talked to Andrea about the the mortgage buyer one. That's an assumption, right? Like you're yeah. putting this assumption up in place, saying, "Here's who we think we think we're actually yeah. connecting with. Here's how we think this market is divided because we chose this one yeah. and not these ones." Yeah. So that's the strategy part. But then once you create this persona, that's like a picture. Yeah. It's a moment in time. Yeah. And so unless you're going into the market quarterly or some regular cadence, whatever that is, it's totally possible that the customer's needs and perceptions that you created in that picture and that snapshot have changed over a period of time. And mm-hmm. unless you're meeting with them regularly, How would you wouldn't you know because you're just sitting behind your desk and you're thinking that's the true fact. That's exactly it. And if you recall, like, the moment that we pivoted away from that original targeting strategy, I think it was like four years, then brought in the company again to do a new assessment and we went in a different direction, right? Mm-hmm. Four years though. Like when the original research came out, like that, that can't be the right way to approach that, right? Um, and we went down like athleisure, you will remember like, yeah, that yeah. was a whole yeah, yeah. was a whole other thing. But anyways, like all to say, I think what resonated with me the most with Andrea is when, and it's going to sound really simple, but I love that she, the way she almost like diluted the, the idea of NPS between, you know, being rationally satisfied and those metrics and sorry, and saying, yeah, no, I did get my delivery on time. So 10 Mm -hmm. out of 10 there. And then being emotionally satisfied, because Mm -hmm. I think what is great about those two elements, it's like, they're both important, but the, emotional satisfaction if you're really leaning into that that will probably mm-hmm. bring you more to customer centricity because it will help inform marketing campaigns that elicit emotion right mm-hmm. Heck, so to speak but then mm-hmm. what is the surprise and delight moment something gets delivered in your door is it a, like a personalized mm-hmm. note is it a an, an extra little something right mm-hmm. and i think that can help inform more innovation internally than just mm-hmm. saying it got there on time we were able to deliver the product consistently. Mm-hmm. Business me- health metrics are check, check, check. Green, green, green. Fantastic. Yeah. Her example of that um, that on time delivery was interesting too. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> because like, but have, think about that. Like, I, I think that's probably accurate for a lot of people. Even oh, NPS, yeah. for that matter, right? It's an established metric that has you know a lot of uh, documentation around it, yeah. but. Do you, are you measuring what you think you're measuring? Totally. You know what I mean? Like we kind of just look at the number and go, oh yeah, yeah. But we never, like once the metric is there and we're reporting it in our KPIs and our reports or monthly, weekly reports, whatever. How often do you go back and go, how did that sausage get made anyway? Yeah. (laughs) Like like what is the formula that we're using for that? And is it actually telling us what we think it's telling us? It's so fascinating. And again, I love the idea of like compartmentalizing it and saying what's rational and what's emotional. So the question is, here's where, and maybe we, you and I differ a little bit on NPS in the sense like 
and I agree with Andrew. Like it is a thermometer. I'm not saying like you're going to derive like hard business insights, but it does give you a pulse. And I think there, that's where some of the importance is. Yeah. But it's also important that you are asking the right questions at the right point in time that you can yeah. then actually, you know, have some sort of substance that may make something more actionable. Right. Yeah. NPS going up when sales are going down, your example, it's like one department saying, no, we're fine. But mm-hmm. the CFO is like, oh, we're not fine. Yeah. Like <laughs> we are not fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like I've, I have meandered on NPS. Like I loved I it for a while because I found it and I'm like, this is great. One metric to solve all problems. <laughs> and then I started looking into it. I'm like, this is dumb. Like, why are we making like one metric? That's not solving any of our problems. <laughs> and I think where I'm landing on it now is that any, any, any attempt at trying to understand customers yeah. is good. Yes. Right. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that all metrics are great. And there's probably not one metric for all things. No. Nope. Um, well, it is. It's called sales. Well, <laughs> technically. Herman would say profit. Or, pro- sorry. Pro- <laughs> yes, that's right. Profit. Yeah. But, but, but it's a, you know what I mean? Like, I think there are the attempt at trying to understand leads probably to more questions. And if you're doing that through MPS, then so be it, you know, and it shouldn't just be the MPS is the be all end all. It should be like an entry point to understand more around what's going on. You know, whether the question, will you recommend us to somebody, you know, score zero through 10, uh, is accurate for like the moment that you're asking the person. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if that's the right way to do it, but it's a way to do it. And it at least gets you started down that path. I could see like I could see something like NPS structured, potentially a, a more robust way than using something like the three W's for iterative change to mm-hmm. help influence iterative change. I could see how things those two things could work together in some yeah. in some capacity. It's like, hey, let's get back in the room. Yeah. Uh, we noticed this. Yes. And, and like, how, how do we start? Let's start reaching out to our customers again. What are we hearing? Let's, you know, get our ear to the ground. Right. If it forces you to do that, I think that is your first like big uh aha moment saying, okay, no, I am now approaching this customer centricity model where I'm taking into consideration because I've Mm -hmm. built a process. I built a framework to measure potentially like what, like how we are doing. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, how we're actioning that maybe something like through the three W's or, or whatever anyone mm-hmm. decides, but I see how they can coexist. Mm-hmm. Oh, I do too. Yeah, I totally do. And it kind of comes back to that analogy we were talking about before where you get, a, there's, well, even with Andrea, there's um, different kinds of knowledge. So about a customer for a customer and from a customer, and exactly. you probably need different tools in your toolbox to, you know, not everything, single tool is going to be great. Just like MPS, it asks a very specific question. There's also like a customer satisfaction score, which asks a different question. How satisfied are you? Not, exactly. Are you willing to recommend us? There's another one, a customer reference score. How hard was it for you to do this thing you were trying to do? Like each of those are specific questions that taken literally, people are going to respond like, well, it was really hard for me to do this. Or no, I'm not willing to recommend you to a friend because I don't have a friend to recommend you. Like, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You, you, I don't know if you no. know 
like unless you're particularly putting the context of the question or you're That's understanding the point. context of the question, you might not be getting the answers back that you think you are. Right. And then it's skewing your your idea of like what does success actually look like or what is it looking like, right? Right. Right. I don't I don't have friends to send this to, so no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's funny, but I don't know about you, but like the we've been we've been going about this like for about a year. Right. Yeah. And like, first of all, I, I have to acknowledge this. Like this has been one heck of a year. Absolutely loved all our guests. But one thing is, I think like if I were to draw like a red thread or tie everything together, it's mm -hmm. like. You have to know and understand who your core target audience is. That's like mm -hmm. number one. Mm -hmm. right and you can hear that like even in well how do you do that strategically like with through roger martin uh, like thinking about like the all the different frameworks that we've, we've talked yeah. to all our guests this year um the other thing to that then is like generally define a strategy yeah like between your target audience and your strategy that will essentially be the i guess like the foundational elements for you to really be successful in your pursuit uh, in any mm -hmm. organization or product or service. And mm -hmm. Andrea really doubled down on that because mm -hmm. it, it's not complicated, but you have mm -hmm. to be very, very, uh, I don't know, maybe prescriptive is not the right word, but you have to be very driven to say, no, this core audience of mine is this, and this mm -hmm. is what I know about them and mm -hmm. really be detailed in that. And this is how I want to target them. Really be detailed on that. Because mm -hmm. I think it's easy for us to say men, women, 50, 50, 18, 55. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I, I keep thinking about this. I don't know how to say this exactly, but to me, it's like this dance almost, right? Where you've, you've got a partner and that's the, let's call it the market. Mm -hmm. as a business you're maybe maybe you think you're in the lead but sometimes you're not yeah and so unless you're like keeping in step with your partner you've the, the i don't know if this makes sense but the dance kind of falls apart it looks terrible and you're never going to win a dance show competition that way but if you're keeping in step with the partner and you need to do that through market research to yeah. be market oriented, to have a clear understanding of your customer needs because they're changing all the time. It's not a static customer, right? Like they do change. There's new technology, new trends, yeah. new products, new needs, new whatever um, that are influencing their perceptions and uh, <laughs> and, and desires. Then, then you that kind of fall out of step with the partner and then don't, like you got nothing. Don't dance the polka if your partner wants to line dance <laughs> totally i think that's a, i think that's a fantastic analogy <laughs> we got something there we're gonna work on <laughs> dan dan if you're listening buddy we may need you illustrate this for us <laughs> yeah but I think it, a lot of it is about keeping in step with totally, at, you know, not the whole market, but your target customer. And part of that is what makes brands differentiated is by staying in step with them. And evolving, um, right? Like, I think yeah. like what, what's defined today as a target audience, the needs, the changes, like if we, 
look at like our generation when we get in got into our 30s our needs were a lot different than maybe the generations yeah. behind us going into their 30s yeah well how did how do you evolve to that new change and if you're not doing the research you're not spending time with your your customers you're not understanding those nuances then that's how you start dancing different dances and you just look yeah. funny on the on the dance floor <laughs> <laughs> The other one that I was thinking about too is like identifying your target audience. I think one of the other ways you can differentiate is by not falling into the traps of industry classifications. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you can go moms. Okay, sure. That, that's a common one. But it doesn't, you don't have to pick just moms. Or like if you wanted to say like your past life, business travelers. Yeah. Okay. That's another one. Yep. Uh, you could, if you're in like a B2B scenario, you might think about like manufacturing industry, but there's other ways to classify and break down the market. You don't have to go to the way that other people have done it. You can reclassify the market the way it makes sense for you. Because mm -hmm. there's probably yeah. something common to all those people, moms, let's say, yeah, um, or business travelers that, or manufacturers that is another way of reclassifying or organizing the market that makes more sense for your company. And that's okay. That's okay. Because then you're also creating something different and distinct. You could create your own category in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. By just thinking of the market a little bit different. Yeah. Like, I, I, I there's nothing for me to add there. Like, that. I completely agree with that statement. It's... Mic drop. You just mic dropped. That's what I got you did. I'm gonna go with the dance. <laughs> you got to. This is the Mark post pod today. It's on fire. This guy. Oh boy, this is great. Not enough sleep, or really good strong coffee. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe, maybe. It, yeah. But you know, Andrea, thank you once again if you're if you're listening. Um, this was a phenomenal conversation. We genuinely uh, appreciated your candor, your insights. Um, so thank you, big big thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was great. Here's that. where we need our exit. Well, it's adieu, isn't it? No? Oh, we're going to do adieu. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Up quickly to forget. Yeah, right. We'll see you in the next one. All right. Adieu. Atta boy. <laughs> see you, buddy.